Long ago, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, King Ahaz's dream of a strong kingdom had crumbled into dust. Tiny Judah was under threat from two kings who were attempting to force Ahaz to join their little league against their anti-Assyrian league. The Assyrian Empire at the time was one of the most powerful empires on earth. Failing that, they hoped to capture Jerusalem, depose Ahaz, and install a puppet king who would be more likely to do their bidding. At the time of our reading from Isaiah, twin armies were at Jerusalem's gates. Ahaz is frightened, overwhelmed. Isaiah 7-2 tells us that his heart and the hearts of the people living in Jerusalem shook like trees in the wind. So Ahaz is about to call for Assyrian help. This is the immediate context for the prophecy of Emmanuel in this national disaster. Isaiah warns him not to do that, to not rely on foreign help to be his savior. Rather, Ahaz should rely on the Lord's help. So here's the sign that God is with Ahaz and with God's people. There's a young woman over there, possibly the king's consort, who is pregnant. She'll give birth to a son. He'll be named God with us, Emmanuel. And before the child knows the difference between right and wrong, the two threatening kings will be gone. That's the original context for the Emmanuel prophecy. Of course, Ahaz didn't believe that mere reliance on God could accomplish anything. That's just living in a dream world, right? We have to be practical about these things. The only problem was that Ahaz's practicality in asking for Assyrian help doomed the kingdom to vassal status. They would always be paying tribute to Assyria, something his son Hezekiah and the next generation of Israelites would, be, would pay dearly for. Perhaps living in the dream world of full reliance on God might have been better for Ahaz and the people than going the practical route. In Matthew's Gospel, Joseph is the opposite of Ahaz. The practical thing for Joseph to do, after all, was to go through with his plans to divorce Mary quietly. He could have been harsher, after all. He could have invoked Deuteronomy 22 who have had Mary stoned to death. In a society more patriarchal than our own, Joseph might have already seemed weak for showing Mary the small kindness of a quiet divorce according to the standards of his time. But God had other plans. We're told that an angel of the Lord appears in Joseph's dream. Now, I've had crazy dreams before, as I'm sure you have. And most of the time, I attribute them to something I ate (laughs) or something I watched before bed. They're not usually anything profound, but this one was. Joseph was convinced that this was the real deal. This was a communication from God. And what God God asks through the angel is utterly impractical. It utterly flouts the standards of the time. It may even be insulting. God asks that Joseph 
not show Mary the small kindness of a quiet divorce, but the large kindness of going through with his original plan to bring Mary into his household. But by doing this, Joseph himself was exposed to humiliation. People are going to think one of two things. Either Joseph and Mary had marital relations before they joined households, which was taboo, or Mary committed adultery. No one at the time was going to accept that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to bring your wife into your household. Don't be afraid, Joseph, of what others will think of you. Don't be afraid, Joseph, of the standards, the patriarchal standards that seem to govern everyone's behavior. Don't be afraid. Do instead what God would have you do. And Joseph does. Joseph in Matthew's Gospel has no lines of dialogue. He actually doesn't speak anywhere in the New Testament at all. Joseph is a man of action, and his actions are rooted in his faith. He takes up his cross and does as God asks him. There's a story about a preacher who preached the best sermon he'd ever preached. Afterward, people came up to him to comment on it, you know, and, but they weren't saying, good sermon, pastor, like they usually did. They were saying, wow, pastor, I think your sermon just changed my life. The preacher was feeling pretty good. Uh, but then one last person came out of the sanctuary. There's always that one. And he came up to the pastor, shook his hand, and said, nice sermon, pastor, but... We have to live in the real world now, don't we? And all too often, that's how we can treat our faith, our walk with God, as something for nice people living in a nice world, as a kind of dream world detached from reality. But that's not the kind of world Joseph was living in. Joseph was living in a world, I would venture to say, darker and scarier than our own, with every, even with everything going on in the world right now. And yet, by living his faith, Joseph's dream world became more real than the reality most of us inhabit. Instead of sheltering in patriarchal conceptions of how men ought to be, Joseph instead trusts God and God's desires for him, how God thinks he ought to be instead. Instead of acting vengefully, Joseph acts with mercy, and then with the Spirit's prompting by faith, he does something that strikes at the very heart of toxic masculinity. He brings Mary into his home. He shows mercy. Instead of acting like the man his society demanded, Joseph acts like the man his God wanted. We've been given the same gift in Christ that Joseph received. Joseph was freed to act the way God had called him to act. And so have we been freed. 
Christ has freed us for who God wants us to be. Not for what we think we ought to be or how others think we ought to be. We don't need to be obsessed with our own survival or reputation any longer. We don't need to be concerned anymore with, with cultural conceptions of how a man or a woman ought to be. We only need to be concerned with being the kind of people God has called us to be in Christ. As Jesus will say later in Matthew's Gospel, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Such concern for God's ways may seem like living in a dream world to others, but we're living in God's dream world. And living in God's dream leads us to a greater reality than this realm of shadows. Living in God's dream leads us to what is truly real. And this reality that Christ brings reaches God's holy people of all times and places. Jesus' liberation, you see, not only reaches forward in time to us, it also reaches backwards. It reached back to his adopted father, Joseph, who was freed to be different. It reached back to that woman and child in Ahaz's court who prefigured Jesus Christ as God's salvation. It reached back to Isaiah, whom the Spirit prompted to speak of God's ways to a king obsessed with doing the pragmatic thing. And it reached to Matthew, who was guided by the Holy Spirit to understand the new thing that God was doing, how the Emmanuel prophecy applied to a new generation. So God, give us the courage to be the people God has called us to be, to be people of God's peace, of God's shalom, who live in God's dream world, who know that God in Christ has freed us to be God's holy people. Let's pray. Lord God, your Son, Jesus Christ, is our Emmanuel, our ultimate sign that you are with us. Give us courage to live your dream, willing to carry our cross and follow him to a reality greater than we can imagine. In his name we pray. Amen.